George's Bank scallops are now at Bonefish Grill. The George's Bank off the coast of New England is known for its amazing sea scallops, and Bonefish prepares them just right. Grilled to perfection over a wood fire and served atop creamy Parmesan risotto. And start the night off with our new handcrafted happy hour every day from 4 to 6.30. Enjoy signature cocktails like our tropical tiki martini for just $5, and new bar bites like ahi tuna poke are just $6. So come in tonight and discover what's new at Bonefish Grill. Welcome to Crime Wire, a program dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved crimes and educating the public about various types of crimes and how to avoid becoming a victim. If you'd like to submit a case to CrimeWire or suggest a topic for a future show, please email us at thenewcrimewire at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook at The New Crime Wire. My name is Denny Griffin, and on today's show, I'm joined by Twyla Johnson to discuss the July 4, 1975 murder of her then 21-year-old sister, Diane Marie Schofield, in Des Moines, Iowa. Diane's fully clothed body was found in the trunk of a 1966 Rambler parked near the Des Moines airport on July 10th. Her hands were tied behind her back and her feet were bound at the ankles. An autopsy determined the cause of Diane's death was strangulation. The case remains unsolved nearly 42 years later. Twyla, welcome to CrimeWire. Hi, Debbie. How are you? I'm great, and thanks, uh, thanks so much for being with us this morning. Uh, tell us, Twyla, if you would, a little bit about your sister and what was going on in her life in July of 1975. Well, Diane was 21. But she had been married and divorced by the time she was 16 years old. And she was estranged from our mother. So she didn't have a lot pretty much on her own. And she had a small daughter by then. She had a five-year-old daughter. And she was working in a massage parlor, giving massages. And... From what I understand, she might have been dealing small-time drugs, you know, speed. I guess they called it back then. But she wasn't, like, dancing in a bar or working the streets or anything. She worked out of this massage parlor. And she had left the massage parlor several weeks earlier and was working at a sports bar like as a cocktail waitress. You say she was working in a sports bar then at uh, in July and she was no longer working at the massage parlor? Right. Okay. Uh, now, was she dating? Did she have a regular boyfriend or any, uh, you know, steady, uh, steady uh, guy she was seeing? She did have a boyfriend, but he did not live with her. And I think maybe he 
wanted to be her boyfriend more than she wanted to be with just one person. I mean, she hadn't been on her own that long and was just really kind of wanting to, to live her own life and not be tied down. So he he was uh, wanted a little more to the relationship than she wanted? I think so. I think he cared more about her than she probably <clears throat> cared about him. Or he did, he wanted it to be more exclusive than she probably wanted it to be. Did that cause problems that you're aware of between the two of them? I don't think that it did. I think he just, you know, maybe was waiting for her to come around or, or just enjoying what time he did have with her. Okay, and there's another... Uh, the question I have, there apparently was a little bit of a, uh, initial confusion about the date of your uh, sister's death. Uh, it was reported in, uh, in some places as having occurred on July 7th, and then uh, it was subsequently changed to July 4th. Could you tell us how that came about? Well, she was last seen on July 4th, leaving a bar. And a man came forward after they found her body on the 10th. They found her body on the 10th. And a gas station attendant came forward and said that he had seen her pull into the gas station and ask for some help with the taillight. But this man had never seen her before and did not know her. And none of her roommates and she had several roommates at the time, had not seen her since the fourth, nor had her family or friends. And I think so, in the end they just chalked it up to he was mistaken or maybe just wanted to be, you know, in the newspaper or just somehow interject himself into it. I, I don't think anyone really believes that he truly saw her. Okay. So, for whatever reason, uh, it was an honest mistake, or maybe, like you say, he wanted to insert himself in the case for publicity or something, but uh, his account that she was seen on July 7th has been discounted, and the July 4th is the official date. Right. And it was new at the time, but the um, coroner actually had someone study the maggots that was on her body, the size of them, and the reproduction of them, and it fit the July 4th timeline better. Okay. Uh, Now, she was found in the trunk of a 1966 Rambler. Um, Whose vehicle was it? Was that her vehicle? That was her vehicle. Okay, and it was parked near the Des Moines airport. It was parked right across the street, right beside a small restaurant, and they actually rented this spot out for long-term parking, like if you were taking a trip and using the airport, which I think is why it was able to sit there for so long without being noticed. And... I'm assuming that this was also a long, long um, 
time before they had security cameras at every, you know, every 20 feet. Right. So right. There would have been, yeah, no record, no video record of of when the car arrived or who was in it or anything like that. Right. And eventually someone noticed a smell, an odor, and called police. And they opened the trunk and she was in there. So now, when was she actually reported missing, you know, prior to the 10th? Was she reported missing to the police? I believe she was officially reported missing two days later by a roommate. Which would have been the 6th? Okay, so uh, I don't know how it, excuse me, how it is uh, in Des Moines, or at least how it was back in 1975. But I know that uh, in a lot of cases, when you have an adult go missing, unless there are, uh, there is evidence that there was foul play, Sometimes the police will put a be on the lookout for, uh, but you know, but they they feel an adult can come and go as they please, and they don't necessarily go into full search mode uh, immediately unless there is some evidence that maybe there was there was more to it than a person just taking off for a while. Um, I don't remember anyone looking for her. I don't remember the police coming and asking us anything about it or and she was estranged from our mother she hadn't spoke to our mother for a couple of years and I kind of think with that and where she had worked I just really don't think that they gave any credence to it at all I don't think that anyone went out and started looking for her immediately so she was found <clears throat> eventually on the 10th because of someone, it wasn't police necessarily, but it was somebody in the area in the vicinity of that rambler that smelled an odor, and then they uh, made a call, and that's what led to her actually being right. located. Okay. Right. Uh, now, her, she was uh, bound, uh, both her uh, her feet and ankles, uh, what else? And there was still was... binding around her neck. Okay, so neck, feet, and ankles. And what 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 did that consist of on the neck? If you if you know, it was a towel, which had been torn into strips, and then triple knotted, like had three knots in it. Do. Did they think the towel is what the instrument used to kill her, or, or was the towel was part of something else? To my understanding, it was a piece of the toweling around her neck as well. So, yes, that was what was used to strangle her with. So that was a murder instrument, if you will. Right. Okay. Kyle, let's talk now that... Uh, the body's been discovered. The police are obviously involved. Uh, 
have you seen the police file uh, or files from from their investigation? I have never seen her file, and <clears throat> I was 18 when it happened, so I kind of, you know, at first I just waited, thinking any day now there would be an arrest, and then any week, which turned into months, which turned into years, which turned into decades, and after I became an adult myself, every year, a couple of times a year, I would call the detectives, and there's been many over the years. I was never allowed to see that file, and even now when I ask, they'll say, no, it's an open investigation, we can't show you anything, and because of the state of her body, we were never allowed to see her body. But I wanted to, because there was some, in the beginning, she had let someone use her um, insurance card to go to the dentist. So first they said it was her, and then they checked the dental records and came back and said it was not her. And then they came back and said, no, it is her, and they handed us some of the the jewelry that was on the body, and that's how we identified her, by some rings and a watch. Well, that never set well with me. I mean, we're going to bury my sister and proclaim her dead over some rings. And it took me 41 years of repeatedly asking before anyone would show me a picture of her in the trunk of the car. So that's just happened recently then, we've seen the picture. Yes, it's been within the last year. And they only showed me one picture, and I had to fight tooth and nail. One detective was willing to let me see the picture, and another was adamant that no, I could not see the picture. Did did they explain their reasoning? I, I certainly one reason might be that you know with the with the body in that condition, they were trying to protect you and your feelings. Uh, do you think that was the reason? No, I don't think they were. I don't think they've been very concerned about my feelings at all I think the one detective just kept saying over and over there's evidentiary value in there like maybe there was something in the trunk of the car that I would have been able to clearly see that they didn't want me to and in fact the picture that I did see they had already removed her and she was laying on top of a body bag mm-hmm. so, so I didn't actually did- see the trunk of the car Okay, you saw her laying on top of a body bag. Right. Okay. Did um, did the police confide to, to you uh, what they found in the way of evidence? For example, did they find any DNA uh, perchance? Did they find fingerprints, that type of thing? Well, they've never said a word about fingerprints. And one thing I would like to add, Denny, is... She was found in the trunk of her car, and within weeks, her car had been destroyed. 
and her purse and her jewelry had been returned to the family. And to me, I never understood that because I think her car is the closest thing that they had to a crime scene. I just can't imagine for the life of me that it was destroyed so quickly. Who had possession of the car? The, the police, I assume, impounded it when they when they found it. And like you say, it would have been a, a part of a crime scene. Uh, they did impound they, it, but it went to a local junkyard. So I mean, it who wasn't had in the, the authority? Police. Go ahead. Who had the authority to destroy it? In other words, who had to give permission? So, your your sister was the registered owner. Did it go right. to anybody else? I mean, would it have, after the police were done with it, would it have become the property of the next of kin, or your your mother, or you, or somebody? Or did the police just kind of take it over and uh, in order the, 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 the destruction? They may have offered it to my mother. I never ever heard that, but. We had a local towing company here in town that, you know, if you were arrested or anything like that, they would be the ones to come and pick up your car. And you could literally drive right up to the fence and see her car sitting there. And I did that several times before it was destroyed. I mean, it wasn't in a police impound. It was at a tow yard. So whatever the reason, however it happened, the car ended up getting destroyed. Right. Okay. Um, How about DNA? Did you hear anything about DNA? Well, they told me that they had DNA and that they had tested it in 2010. And I'm not even real clear on that. I take it as it would have been the killer's DNA because, of course, they would have had Diane's DNA. And they said that they tested it in 2010, that it was on the strips of cloth. And then they don't even really say one way or another. I don't have any idea who they tested it against, if it was touch DNA, if it was fluid DNA, anything. And I have recently asked them if we could retest it at my expense, and they claim that, A, they have so little left that they could only test it one more time, which I am assuming they would have a profile of it since it it was tested once. And then when I offered to pay for it, this last time, which was just a few weeks ago, they said, no, that would not work because by law it has to go through their laboratories. One thing too, Denny, is when they released her belongings, they gave me her purse, which I was happy to have, but there are checks in there, you know, that she had wrote and had been cashed and then returned phone numbers. I just can't imagine that somewhere down the line those would not have been important, that they could have been double-checked or checked against the name that came in later. I'm 
Back to the DNA again for a minute. If your understanding is from what you were told that even if you were willing to foot the bill uh, for DNA for additional DNA testing, that doesn't no. matter because you you can't send it no. to the laboratory of your choice. It can only be tested at the police laboratory. Right. And okay. he was emphatic about that. Have have you um, do you have or are you considering possibly getting an attorney involved? Because uh, you know somebody's got to look out for your rights to make sure some of the things you're being told are in fact accurate. I do want to get an attorney, and when I called, I called the victim's advocate here in our town and was told that I wasn't actually a victim so I wasn't eligible and I know that people have told me a reporter in this town even told me that under our laws I am able to see her file now they might be able to redact some things or you know maybe block some names out but that I should be able to see her file. I think, Twyla, it's been my experience over the years talking to many families that, and, and I'm I'm pro-law enforcement guy, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some issues with law enforcement or law enforcement personnel. Nobody's perfect. No system is perfect. It seems to me that uh, I, I can understand the reasoning, uh, especially I think at, uh, at the onset of a case of, of the thing about not releasing information, information that you don't want the, the suspect to know that you know and, uh, you know, protect the security and integrity of the investigation. All that makes sense, and I can understand it. But uh, on the other hand, when you take, a, especially get a case like yours, forty over 40 years old, and if you wanted to hire a private investigator perhaps, be, uh, you know, to, to see if, if you could uh, come up with some stuff on your own um, without relying on the police, uh, to to still say, oh, no, you can't see the file because it's an open case. Well, it, let's be reasonable here. After 40 years, many of the people could be deceased by now. I mean, who knows? Who knows what's, uh, what the story is on that? But how much are they protecting of the investigation 40 years later by not allowing you to have access That's to right, the file? Jenny. And they always tell me, bring me something new and we'll work on it. But I'm flying blind. I don't know what to look for even. I don't know if I'm going in the right direction, the wrong direction. I have absolutely no idea. And uh, I've been told so many different stories over the years that it's just a wild goose chase. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'm doing it all alone. I mean, I don't have any parents that are still alive. I don't have any family members to help me. I'm just one woman out there trying to track down leads 
and I really do not have a clue what I'm doing. Let's talk a little more about the the investigation. When we have talked um, in the past recently, you told me a couple of uh, what could have been breaks uh, came your way. Uh, one regarding uh, a couple of sisters and then one regarding someone who says they were with your sister the night she went missing. Could you fill us in a little bit about what the, what happened there? Yes. Before we get to that, I would like to say that about a year ago, a woman said that a man had told her that he knew the man who had drove Diane's car and parked it. And this man had told many people, excuse me, that he had, in fact, driven her car and parked it there. Well, I tracked him down, and he was in a hospice. And I told the police, I told his name, and they just really didn't want anything to do with it. And then shortly after that, a new newspaper article came out, Solving One Case Resurrects Many Others. And it basically said in this article that he was a suspect in Diane's death, along with many others. So I called them again and told them, you know, here he is. Even reporters are calling him a suspect. Still nothing. I gave him the man's number where he was. He was in Arizona. They just said, well, we don't think he'll talk to us. And they just, they never, if they did do anything, they never told me. And the man has since passed. So, I mean, that. There goes that. And then two sisters recently, within the last couple of months, called and told me that they were so sure that their father had killed Diane that they were willing to have their DNA tested to see if it was a familial match against the DNA. Well, I called the detectives and told them that. And they called the police themselves told their story, and the, whoever they talked to said, well, we'll tell the detectives that are involved, and they'll get back to you. No one has ever gotten back to them. And recently, like within the last, a girl came forward and told me she was with Diane the night she was killed, that she's seen her get on the back of a motorcycle with a man, seen her wave goodbye and leave. She was at Diane's house when the police finally came to investigate. She even had a sergeant's name that had spoken with her that day. I called the detective, told him that, and he just immediately, before I could barely get it out of my mouth, started telling me all the problems he had with that how that couldn't be, how he couldn't understand how that could be. And I called this woman yesterday and even asked her double-checked, and no, the detective has never even called her back and asked her one single question. So it appears she's kind of ruled uh, the value of her testimony out before he even spoke with her. Yes. Yes. 
in my opinion, and it's I don't think it is just my opinion, he never bothered to call her back to see what she had to say one way or the other. Uh, I mean, she could have been given, to me, she could have been given pictures to look at if they had suspects in the beginning to say, do any of these men look familiar? Is this who she left with? Nothing. Well, it's very frustrating, I'm sure, that when you're told, you know, any time we can get a new lead, you know, we'll jump on it and really follow up on it. And then when you give them leads, they don't seem to be the least bit interested. I don't think they're interested at all. And I've told you, Denny, that I've asked them, if you know who did it, and it's quite possible, but you know that there's just no proof, just tell me and I can stop. And they assure me, no, 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 we're still looking. It's been case. If you find anything, tell us. I've had people knock on my door and tell me that they knew who did it. I've called the detectives and told them. And nothing, absolutely nothing has come of it. And I always wonder to myself as well, I was with my sister the day she died, earlier in the day. And I just was... When I was writing down the things I was going to speak about today, I thought they found her. I was brought in and talked to, and that was it. I was never talked to again. I've never been shown pictures, you know, like a lineup. Do any of these people look familiar? Were they there that day? I've never been talked to again by them initiating it, ever. Now, I have friends who were with her that day. They've never been spoken to. The girl who came forward and said she was with Diane that night, she said after the initial conversation when she was at Diane's house, not knowing that she was dead, and the police came there and told her she had to leave, she said they never ever came back and asked me anything. I was never interviewed by anyone. You know, it's a, if you've ever watched, well, I'm dating myself here going back a few years, but some of the, the police uh, uh, TV shows that are well-researched, let's take Law and Order, uh, the original, uh, for example. If, if anybody's watched uh, programs like that, you know that among the first things uh, the investigators do when they're investigating a, a missing person or a death case is they want to talk to the people who were with the victim last. They want to know what the victim's frame of mind was, what the victim said, was the victim uh, having issues with anyone, did the victim say where he or she might be going, all those types of things. And when you hear the people that should have been interviewed, or at least it seems as though they should have been interviewed, uh, uh, and have never been talked to. It's, it's 
it's a very frustrating thing. I mean, it, it, you know, you just have to wonder why. Why wouldn't you talk to one of the last people to see this person alive or to see them before they disappeared? It, it, it. I have trouble making sense out of that. Well, I have terrible trouble making sense of that. I mean, there are people there... that the last place she was seen earlier in the day was at a lake. And I mean, many friends were there. I have a friend who who called me just the other day, and him and his wife were there, and they were good friends with Diane, and he was asking me about the man that I was telling you that said he took her car, drove the car, and he said, I'm almost positive he was there that day. And he was in a foul mood, just, you know, you didn't even want to be around him. And he said, and the funny thing is, you know, we were never questioned, ever. And I thought, surely they would have gotten a list of people that were there that day and talked to every single one of them. Do you have any explanation? And do you have any explanation for why they didn't do that? Why why they didn't interview and, and talk to these people? I do have one, and I know it's going to seem far-fetched, but for years, like I said, I haven't just talked to one detective. It's been 40 years. The detectives have come and gone. They've moved on. They've retired. But many detectives have told me that Diane's death was ordered and that it was ordered by a man named Raul and I have the last name. And when I looked his name up, I found out that there was a book written about him and that he had killed another woman, suspected, he wasn't convicted, he was suspected of killing her and leaving her in the trunk of her car at the Des Moines airport. And it says in this book that one of the reasons they think he wasn't arrested is he was very good friends as an informant with our police chief. Well, when I looked a little further, I found out that this man owned a waste management company where he hauled trash away, and throughout his whole career, he only had two contracts. One was with our sheriff's department, and one was with our courthouse. And I'm certainly not saying that I think our police force is dirty, but I think he may have had ties with that one police chief. And I don't think that anyone wants to stand up and admit to that and just open that whole can of worms. And I cannot believe, we don't live in a huge town, Denny. We live in Des Moines, Iowa. I cannot believe that in 41 years that nobody told anyone anything. Not a wife, not a girlfriend, not bar talk. I can't believe that anyone kept it that close to their vest that they never told a single soul who they killed. 
Yeah, that is rather incredulous that uh, that many years could go by with no no slip-ups or, uh, like you say, bar talk or something. Right. I, I've never found that believable. And then Tyler, when, when you, you asked me, go ahead. I was just going to say that uh, a lot of things about this story fr- fr- frustrate me. One is the the apparent lack of interest uh, by detectives when you come up with new information. Um, is there anything you can do about that? Can you go over their heads to the sergeant or the chief or whoever would be their their superior and and request a new detective be assigned or you know do anything to to try to get somebody to to look into the leads you're providing? Danny, I have called the chief of police numerous times, and I have never actually spoke to him. I have always gotten a call back from an aide to him. And we recently, within the last few years, got a new chief of police, and I was a little excited because I thought, what a great way to start your tenure by solving this case. So I start calling him, and I have never spoke to him. I only spoke to his aide, and his aide was so frustrated that I was calling. He denies this in a um, newspaper report, but he. this is what he said to me. If you are so sure you know who killed her, why don't you go arrest him? Like I have the power to go make an arrest. I mean, it was so, it was so rude and so ridiculous. And I have talked to another aide over the years that basically told me, look, your sister lived a life that was filled with drugs and it was unsavory and things happened to people like that. And that is the honest to God's truth. What he, that he told me that basically said she got what she went looking for and you have to remember Denny she was a 21 year old girl and she did take a wrong turn I don't think she was going to do this for the rest of her life and even if she was I don't think she deserved what she got and I as her family member who loved her certainly didn't deserve what she got. Now, did you say she had a young child at the time? She had a five-year-old daughter when she died. And what happened to her daughter? Her daughter went to live with her father. And her her husband, her ex-husband, the little girl's father, was in prison when Diane died. He was a heroin addict, and he killed himself two years later, hung himself. So that little girl, I mean, has no parents, and she doesn't even really remember her mother. Did, did she, she end just, up like she lost in foster everything. care? No, his parents raised her. 
And how did she turn out? Well, she had a lot of trouble. She, Her grandparents were overly religious. And at first, they told her, up until she was 13 years old, that her mother just laid down on the couch and went to sleep. Which, you know, I, I suppose they didn't want to tell her the gruesome details, but then one day at school she found out that her mother had been murdered, and it was just horrible. It was a shock. And to tell you the truth, she just kind of has put it out of her mind. Like, I can't deal with it. I don't know how to deal with it. And she herself, over the years, I mean, she took some wrong turns. She became a dancer. She got in some trouble, and it's all behind her now. And she's a mother and a grandmother. But Diane's death had a horrible, rippling effect. They all do, Denny. And I try to tell the detectives, I mean, grief, grief isn't just a little bit of sadness. It takes on so many forms. There's sadness. There's anger. There's rage. There's helplessness. There's hopelessness. And it doesn't last for a certain amount of time. I always say, when my sister was killed, I was given a life sentence of grief. I don't get any days off for good behavior. There will be no early release. I will serve every day of my sentence. And I also tell the detectives, I'm not foolish enough to think that justice will ever be served. Whoever killed my sister got to live the best years of their life as a free man. All I want, all I ask for, is that someone be held accountable and be named as the person who killed her. I think she deserves that much. And when I go to my sister's grave, even though she has a beautiful headstone, when I look at it, to me it says, you just didn't matter. And and that's how I feel. Well, you're right. It's certainly been a a tragic story for several people, not just your sister. Um, And I've got to... uh, give you credit for not giving up. I mean, after after all these years, uh, going actually, uh, I, maybe against the system isn't the right, that might be a little bit too strong, but, but trying to work within the system and uh, the obstacles you have to overcome uh, and, and for you to hang in there and continue is really uh, a great credit to you. Uh, a lot of people would have long since given up and uh, and put it behind them or tried to. So uh, you certainly are to be uh, applauded, in my opinion, for what you've done. Well, thank you. And I did have one detective tell me, Denny, that my sister's case went from being in a locked cabinet in a separate building to being on their desk. So, I mean, I do what I can, and I refuse to stop. 
but I'm the first to admit I, I don't really know what I'm doing. Well, I need help. I, I certainly hope something comes about with uh, some type of an attorney getting involved, and I'd love to see you be able to get that DNA done. Uh, you know, that that could be a breakthrough thing there. Uh, <clears throat> the other... The other thing is uh, you were a co-author, one of several, in a, a new book. Could you care to tell us about that? Yes, it's called Grief Diaries, and 22 people co-authored it, and it tells our stories of our murdered loved ones. It tells their story and art of help from the police, and... Um, you can order it through Amazon.com, or it's at Barnes and Nobles. And uh, I really am proud of that. It's, I mean, my sister. If nothing else, Denny, I feel like she's not forgotten anymore. Here in my town, I think she's pretty much a household name now. And I think in the end, that's what's going to bring about a change. Is that there are so many people talking now. Yes. In my front and yard, I have a four-foot-by-four-foot four sign with her picture on it, the date she died, and that it's unsolved. And I live on a very busy street, and that sign is kind of like legend in our town. Well, Tyler, we we run out of time here. We're going to have to uh, shut it down. Uh I really want to thank you for being here. This is a story that's, you know, certainly tragic, uh, uh, and hopefully, uh, with your tenacity, uh, eventually that break's going to come, and there will be a lead that the police do take serious and are willing to follow up on that. That can pan out to be something, because uh, I know you're not going to give up on it. So, uh, and I. I you know, you say you don't know what you're doing. I know, you know, you may not be experienced with the law or with police procedures, but you know what you're doing as far as keeping it going, uh, getting your sister's name out there and, and getting, uh, you know, the, the unsolved nature of the crime out there. And uh, that's bound to bear fruit at some point. I know it's been a long time, but uh, I, I just have to believe that all your efforts won't be in vain, that at some point, you'll even if the person is now deceased, you'll at least, at least learn who did it. And that would uh, right. bring some resolution anyway. To now, what I'd or like maybe to do, if you I would, can give hope to one more person, Denny, that don't have to wait 41 years. Well, God bless you. Uh, well, and thank if you, you would, Denny. If anything changes at all, as for, you know, as far as the DNA thing or anything materializes with these witnesses you've come up with recently, uh, please let us know. Because we'd certainly like to do an update on this, if there's anything uh, positive. Well, I'd love that, and I appreciate it. And thank you, Denny, for all of your help, caring. You're more than welcome. Okay. Thanks very much again for sharing your story with us, Twyla. And thanks to our listeners. And until next time, stay safe. Bye-bye, Twyla. Bye. Thank you again. 
George's Bank scallops are now at Bonefish Grill. The George's Bank off the coast of New England is known for its amazing sea scallops, and Bonefish prepares them just right. Grilled to perfection over a wood fire and served atop creamy Parmesan risotto. And start the night off with our new handcrafted happy hour every day from 4 to 6.30. Enjoy signature cocktails like our tropical tiki martini for just $5, and new bar bites like ahi tuna poke are just $6. So come in tonight and discover what's new at Bonefish Grill. George's Bank scallops are now at Bonefish Grill. The George's Bank off the coast of New England is known for its amazing sea scallops, and Bonefish prepares them just right. Grilled to perfection over a wood fire and served atop creamy Parmesan risotto. And start the night off with our new handcrafted happy hour every day from 4 to 6.30. Enjoy signature cocktails like our tropical tiki martini for just $5, and new bar bites like ahi tuna poke are just $6. So come in tonight and discover what's new at Bonefish Grill.